When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, everyone. Before we get started, I wanted to warn you that there will be spoilers in this episode. No more than we had last week. Actually, less than we had last week, if you listen to part two of our Star Cruiser coverage. That said, the spoilers that are in this episode are things that are easily inferred by the poster, things that are easily inferred if you've been to Galaxy's Edge. It's not huge, to be very honest, but they do happen, so I just wanted to warn you. Again, if you were cool with it last week, you'll be fine with this episode. So now, on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your host, Ryan Key. Hey, everybody. This is Nick Gambarian. I'm also your host. How's it going? Not poopy. Not poopy Gambarian anymore. No, I'm, that's I'm, nice. I was I was happy Gambarian, then I was a little poopy, but now I'm I'm like somewhere in between. I'm feeling good today. All right. Today is a good day. You got that new lightsaber that brought light back into your oh, life. Oh yes, I got my Ray Skywalker saber today. <laughs> You're like that shade of yellow that the blade is. Oh, it's so cool. Poopy who? <laughs> we also have a guest because we can't stop talking about the Galactic Star Cruiser. Did you go on that? Yeah, I was there on the spaceship. Oh, yeah. Wow. Are you familiar? I hadn't heard. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, Matt Martin from Lucasfilm Story Group, senior creative executive, officially franchise story and content group at Lucasfilm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. That whole introduction was just a straight, like, humble brag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was just straight up, like, this this dude's on our That's show. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, check out this thing we did recently, and check out this dude who's here. <laughs> I mean, you can listen if you want. So, Matt, you and Nick have known each other for some time. Why don't um, you two tell us about that? How did you meet? So it was through Alex Backus. I think I met by giving you a tour, right? Well, yeah, it wasn't through Alex Backus. Yeah, it was through Nate. You knew Alex. Okay, wow. Yeah. Sorry, old guy moment right here. Okay, so my ex, <laughs> my ex knew your friend, Nathan. Who I've known since kindergarten. Yes, who you've known since kindergarten. So, uh... <laughs> They had this whole ruse a couple of years ago where me and my ex were going up to the bay, the East Bay, to just hang out with other friends. And we, quote unquote, ran into Nathan at the airport. And I was like, oh, cool. Where are you going? He's like, uh, San Francisco. I'm like, oh, that's where we're going. So we hung out and then we landed and... Uh, my ex and Nathan were like, let's go get breakfast or something. I'm like, okay, I guess we're just kind of going to keep hanging out, I guess, uh, whatever. So we get breakfast and then we head in an Uber. I'm just enjoying life. Again, being a total band guy, like a straight up, like, well, yeah, just tell me where to go. I don't know. Yeah, we'll get in this Uber. <laughs> so we're in this Uber. We get we get out into like this almost a, a little bit more of a, like a businessy, I don't want to say complex, but some some buildings around. We get out of the Uber and I see a Yoda statue, and still, I, it does not hit me that we're at Lucasfilm. Still does not. I'm like, oh, yeah, Lucasfilm's, like, in the area. There's probably, like, Star Wars artifacts There everywhere. isn't, like, a big sign Dude. or something. Yeah, yeah, there's no sign. But I was just like, wow, that's so cool, Dude. Yoda statue. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm chill. I'm, I'm connecting awesome. with this so much. This is so, like, It's a bass player thing or what? Like, I am so much this guy, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we walk into the lobby and finally see, Matt, I want to say when you walk in the door, there's maybe a carpet that says Lucasfilm. Am I wrong I, there? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's on the wall behind the security. Yeah, yeah. So then I was just like, oh, this is awesome. I'm so dumb. Oh, my goodness. This whole <laughs> thing, <laughs> this whole thing was has been a ruse. So that's where I met you. I met AJ through our friend Nathan and... uh been hanging ever since but then we yeah. then we hung out with alex who was on the show a couple of weeks ago and we've played hockey a bunch hung out at bayside shows it's it's uh, yep. been a good couple of years yeah definitely so anyways that's how me and matt know each other so matt you are here to talk about the galactic star cruiser because you were part of the writing of the story on galactic star cruiser and you've worked on galaxy's edge 
tell the listeners a little bit more about what your role is, like what actually what Lucasfilm's story group does in a larger sense. It seems maybe unique in entertainment and filmmaking to have a, a you know story group that's as overarching as this. So give us a little a little context for folks who don't know. Yeah, so I'm part of the team that that works on what we call franchise storytelling, which is generally most everything that's not really you know creator driven like live action. Not that everything we do isn't creator driven to some extent, but you know, so I work on Disney parks, as you said. I work on video games, uh, VR, publishing, all kinds of extensions of kind of Star Wars storytelling, and I'm the lead on our team that works with Imagineering on Star Wars storytelling in the parks. So like you said, I worked on Galaxy's Edge. I helped, you know, work with with Walt Disney Imagineering to come up with all of the storytelling details of everything that you see in the park and experience and hear and interact with, um, as well as just kind of helping oversee sort of the Star Wars lore, really nerdy, nitty gritty details of it all, making sure that everything is as lined up as possible. And about halfway through working on Galaxy's Edge, I still vividly remember this crazy call you know, back when I still had an office that wasn't at my house, um, <laughs> taking this call about the kind of next thing that we we're going to do after Galaxy's Edge, which we're like, we're going to make an immersive two night, you live Star Wars thing, kind of like a hotel, but we're not calling it a hotel because it's not a hotel. And they're just like, I don't understand what this is. But as somebody who's <laughs> yeah. fascinated with with interactive storytelling, I was so on board and excited just from that very first call. And then, yeah, just worked the next five years or so along with other members of my team and, and Imagineering to, you know, construct the story and everything else that's involved in, in the Halcyon. So speaking of that immersive theater sort of angle, and also I want to say you're talking about being confused as to what it is. When I started to bring this up to people who weren't, including my wife, people who weren't in the know about Star Wars on this level, every time I got, uh, so, so it's a crew like on a boat, like it's a cruise. <laughs> so funny. But um, yeah. this being a legitimate immersive theater, kind of live action role-playing thing, I imagine there were reference points of other existing live action role-playing or immersive theater experiences, right? And maybe it was that part of setting the bar. Like I know there's the, kind of the speakeasy thing in San Francisco and there are a bunch of things in New York. Did you guys reference any of that stuff in terms of? Yeah, I mean, we definitely... We looked at a lot of that. Some of the Imagineers did kind of straight up field trips to, you know, big kind of LARPing events, but there was nothing, nothing at all close to the scale that we were trying to accomplish. So, yeah, you know, even though something like Sleep No More is kind of a good reference point of the idea of immersive theater, it's still not quite what we were going for. And we had to do something that none of these people were trying to do, which was make it really accessible to anybody. Mm-hmm. because it has to be in a Disney park. You know, if a family comes, we can't guarantee that every member of that family is going to be 100% on board with understanding how to interact in this sort of scenario where a fan run Harry Potter LARP, you know, everybody <laughs> that's there is 100% already ready to, to go and LARP their, their Harry Potter lives. Yeah. So we didn't have any real point of like, this is exactly what we're doing. But we had a lot of, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a lot of just kind of inventing. And in Orlando, you're so close to medieval times. I mean, they, they, <laughs> I'm sure there were lot, lots of medieval times dinners on Disney, you know, lots of, yeah. lots of turkey legs and stuff. It was great. Sadly not. <laughs> I, I would have loved to do the Pirates one too. I've been wanting to do the Pirates one for so long. Medieval times didn't pop into my mind until the very last, like the everybody in the atrium Ray versus Kylo moment uh-huh. where people are cheering and stuff. And I was like, oh, wait, this is like medieval times all of a sudden, like in, a, in the best way possible, where I was yeah. just like, everybody here is watching the same thing and cheering for certain things. And it was a really, really cool aspect to that. I did just have a question. I'm sure it's difficult, but is it the most difficult thing to have to write stories or or create experiences that have to be like you mentioned for someone who is a super fan and not is that like the most difficult part of the job i feel like it has to be amongst the top three most difficult parts is that it has to be enjoyable for everybody no matter what your knowledge of star wars is it definitely is and it's something that we have to keep in mind for most of our storytelling i mean obviously you know if somebody's going to go out and buy a 400 page novel they probably know the basics of star wars but 
Right. Mm-hmm. For the most part, we want everything to kind of act as as an entry point. So you don't need to do a bunch of homework to step into it. It's always kind of one of the fun challenges of like, because Star Wars is so well known, it's just kind of part of the zeitgeist. What are the things that we can just 100% know? Like we mentioned Yoda, everybody in the room is going to get it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where's the line? Where's the, we have to explain this thing a little bit. And then the challenge of like, how do we find a way to explain a thing so somebody who doesn't know what it is understands what it is while the person that does know what it is isn't bored by the explanation. Yeah, that's right. so hard. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so difficult. I, I imagine you lean on the cast members a little bit in terms of helping navigate that range of, of types of fans because I assume you give them as deep of a story as you possibly can, as deep as they want to go. And it's their judgment call in the moment of how to interact with a Voyager, right? Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is the crew members are are a perfect example of that because not all of them are necessarily huge Star Wars fans. You know, like they, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're coming. I'm sure they're excited to be on this brand new, exciting project, but it doesn't mean that they've ingested every piece of Star Wars storytelling. Some of them probably have, but not all of them. So we have to develop like a, a really interesting way that the crew members, they kind of learn how to translate their real lives into Star Wars and be able to make it so when they're stepping into Star Wars and they're living their Star Wars, that it feels authentic and that the conversations that they have with guests or passengers feel authentic on both both sides, which is really, it's really cool. Like what the crew bring to the experience or the, the citizens of Batu bring to Galaxy's Edge is I think one of my favorite parts of it because it's just such an interesting, oh, you yeah. know, like where, where can you go where you can just be like, hey, where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Lothal. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool. Right. <laughs> and then and you can yeah. dig into it with them too mm-hmm. because... And we did. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, because it's, it's just so great because they can kind of take their real-life experiences, change a few nouns around, and all of a sudden it's in Star Wars, which is mm-hmm. kind of how George made A New Hope. Yeah. He kind of took a classic myth, added some Star Warsy nouns to it, and all of a sudden it feels, <laughs> you know, fresh and new. Dude, it's just all, like, as you're dropping these little bits of knowledge i'm thinking back to our experience and it's all like the the layers of the onion are just coming off and i'm <laughs> i'm i'm seeing into the matrix now you know what i mean I hope i'm not breaking it for you no it's it makes it better <laughs> oh no it's awesome i mean we've been so impressed you know like by everybody i mean we were so so because it was the second trip the second like actual excursion yeah we felt like we were getting like a nice shiny new toy and like i think that in a sense we could sense the excitement from the cast and the crew members that we were interacting and they were like all right this is what we studied for you know yeah so like here yep. we go <laughs> you mentioned um characters on batu as well something that we that kind of hit us when we were talking uh last week Early on, there there was mention of, and in concept art, there was mention of there being kind of just like background characters on Batu. That didn't turn out to be as much as I think some people expected. You know, you've got like kind of the canon characters walking around. You've got stormtroopers. You've got R two and whatever. But aside from the like the employees of you know the marketplace and things like that, you don't see characters just roaming around with no names, right? Yeah. But we realized on Batu in our full costumes again with people approaching us, asking us where things are and whatever, thinking that we were maybe cast members, we realized that the Halcyon passengers become the background characters. Was this something you guys thought about or is it just a happy accident? No, this this is actually the first I've ever thought of that. And that's amazing. But that didn't (laughs) dawn on me because when I've done, I've, I've done it a a few times, but it was all in sort of a testing capacity. Mm -hmm. And like, I was there for work. So I wasn't in costume. I was just trying to wear things that were like, not offensively so not Star Wars that I would stand out. <laughs> right. But yeah. so I never had that experience. But from what I've what I've heard from the actual voyages, like what you guys were able to do, there's a big chunk of the people there that are wearing some version of Star Wars costume. And it probably makes the land feel so much more rich on that day when all the Halcyon passengers are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish we thought of that. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> We were taking photos with with kids. Like there were parents who were like, "Can my kid take a photo with you guys?" Without saying, "Do you work here?" They just thought we they thought we were cast members, you know. Yeah. yeah. And we of course didn't exploit that at all. We like we recognized the the position we were in. I would assume most people kind of feel that the same way. I don't want to break any kids' hearts, you know. The little five year old wants to take a picture with me. I'm taking a picture. Yeah, totally. <laughs> also, walk around in in the park with just normal guests, normal Disney World guests. 
It's because they were fans of our bands. Let's put it that way, guys. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say it was such a mixed bag of of people. I felt like that were so, um, I don't know, impressed. I guess you know. I mean, they were like, I mean, we were pretty put together that day when we rolled into Batu. You know, we were like, yeah, I've seen the pictures. I, I was impressed. We had a vibe, <laughs> and so it was a mixed bag of people being like, "Whoa," and people being like losers you know what yeah. I mean? it was like it was it was like half people were like i want to i want that but we were we were just living our best life man it, it was, was so yeah, freaking great. amazing and and interacting with with guests in the park became kind of like another fun unexpected element of of the journey of the trip it was like that day we were we were meeting all these these guests in the park and talking to them and they were asking about our costumes and for the most part we we stayed in character you know we we're like well we're on the halcyon we're traveling to batu today and we're you know so it was yeah. just that's great it was awesome man i mean we were also so immersed in the data pad and so purpose driven, mm-hmm. you know, with the limited time that we had there. Yeah. That I, I would catch looks as we were going by. People were like, Oh, what are they doing? What are these guys? What characters are those? You know? <laughs> exactly. Almost like like kind of that Disney World FOMO thing of like, should I be following these guys wherever they're running because there's some kind of <laughs> show or parade or yeah, yeah. they're they're part of some adventure that's happening a sh- you know. So uh, we we definitely felt that energy too. That's awesome. And what's what's cool is that uh, Halcyon guests are able to cosplay more than your average park guest. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you guys don't have the sort of restrictions that that those people did have. So you're going in there and you can really go for it. Which you know the Halcyon guests that really want to go for it are going to stand out. Mm. Do you think that that uh, the ability to do that has, uh, or I guess not think? Do you know how planned out that was as far as guests arrive to the Halcyon? We take their bags we can make sure running them through the x-ray or however they're doing it, whatever they do with our bags when they take them before they deliver them to the room. And I'm not sure if they even did inspect them or not, but is that a thing where they're like, we feel more comfortable because we can sort of vet these people and what they're bringing into the park as opposed to like everybody just showing up at the gates of Disney World in full costume every day. (laughs) I I don't know for sure. My understanding is the real, you know, kind of the main reason to not, that they don't allow costumes is, because they don't want people getting confused because if you have, you know, a parks ray walking around and a guest ray walking around, it can, it can get confusing. But because Star Cruiser is such an immersive experience, it was decided pretty early on. And it's like, well, people want to be immersed. But a lot of them are going to want to show up in costume and we got to just go with that. And yeah. you know, that's kind of where it led to. It's really cool that there was an open-minded approach to that because I have to say it was the first time I've ever cosplayed in my life. And it just would have been a completely different experience if like I wasn't – granted, there were rules like, you you know, we can't run around and, and have our lightsabers out and swinging and spinning, which yeah. the whole time we were like, come on, man. <laughs> you know? But but they, it could have gone to the other extreme of, you know, like you can't even bring them. Like you can't you can't be walking in here with like a, a metal thing on, on your on your belt, you know, yeah. uh, even without the, the blade or whatever. But yeah, it would have been a completely different experience if you guys hadn't made that decision on our behalf of like, Look, let the kids have let, let them play. Let them have their, <laughs> let them exactly have their fun. It. That you was know? 100% it. But but the fear the 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 idea that it's more confusion based than like safety based. I I mean I get maybe like not wearing helmets in the park and stuff like that. Like they, they did right Nick it was you can't wear your armor down on on the excursion day, uh, right? I'm not sure, but knowing how sweaty I was wearing you wouldn't it have done it anyways. I did not <laughs> right, want right. to wear it in Orlando. But I, I just was going to say that, that I was going to say that thinking that it's more confusion based as a rule than like safety now we know is completely legitimate because yeah. everywhere we turn, someone's like, um, where's the restaurant? <laughs> you, know, like it was, you know, or, or can, can we take photos with you? You know, like you guys work here. Yeah. What didn't help too is like, we've been a million times. So we kind of look like we know what we're doing too. It's yeah, not yeah. like we look lost. <laughs> it's like yeah. we're dressed up and we know the land, like the back of our hand. So it's like, yeah. uh, of course it looks like we work there. You're probably safe people to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it also, works out okay because as voyagers who are immersed in their own personal stories we're not dressed up like canon characters so yeah i would assume that disney assumed well they're not going to show up dressed like ray if they expect to see ray and they're living the story so mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. Par- park goers might want to show up dressed as their favorite character and then it's confusing yeah confusing. exactly so it works getting back to the story and writing the story how much harder or different is it to write 
I, I imagine the answer is a lot, but uh, harder to write stories that are meant to be interacted with, with all the layers and the different choose your own adventure paths rather than something that's passively consumed with, you know, a couple parallel storylines. I mean, I don't want to necessarily say it's harder because it's, it's different mm-hmm. and they, they all have kind of their, their different sets of pros and cons. Um, but it is, it's, it's complex and it's, right. it is definitely difficult to try to figure out, especially for something like this, how you have all of these different sort of different storylines that your guests can take, as well as the sort of meta storyline of the entire what's happening on the Halcyon. And then the individual storylines of each character performer, kind of the new characters that we've that we've created. Now, all of them sort of have an arc. So like ensuring that all of these things play together, that the passengers are able to not experience everything, but still get all of the story points that they need to know. Things like that are, I think, probably the most challenging. Yeah. Even in a video game, you're still a little bit more guided. Like, you know, you know, your character can go this path or that path. With this, it's kind of like if one person's playing First Order, the other is playing Resistance, you are not necessarily going to know what the Resistance people are doing if you're on the First Order, but you're going to see the results of it. So right. then how do, we, how do we make it clear to those passengers so they understand what's happening on the story without breaking the narrative of being like, oh yeah, those people went and did this thing that you're not supposed to know about. So it's figuring out the right ways to like seed through that information in, in creative ways with characters that can know all of the details was, was a, you know, a fun and interesting challenge. You know what I think is something you did successfully that must have also been really hard. And you can tell me if you like thought of this consciously when you were going down the path of writing the story. If you come into this experience as a first order sympathizer, kind of goes without saying you're going to lose. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, like you're going to go on on. You're going to have this journey, and the resistance is is going to win. The, the the good guys are going to. It's Star Wars. The good guys are going to win. You know, this isn't this isn't the middle movie in the franchise. You know, like, <laughs> but I I think you know looking around, uh, especially at the end when it was clear that after the big finale and it was over. All of the, you know, more sort of Sith-leaning or, or First Order-leaning obvious cosplayers and people who were, uh, you know, when, when uh, the lieutenant was on the bridge, they're all cheering for him. And that, they were so happy. You know, they were so fulfilled still, mm-hmm. e- even though, you know, their side didn't win. And so you go into this writing going like, well, there's going to be people who are going to show up dark side users. There's going to be people who show up yep. Sith. They're going to, and they're going to lose and they know they're going to lose. So how do we still make this super fun for them, even though they're walking into a, a, a surefire defeat? <laughs> no, that you're, you're totally, you, you've hit on it exactly what we were trying to accomplish. And I feel like we did a pretty good job where there's a lot of individual victories that the passengers get yeah even if you're first order you still as a passenger are very successful in what you were set out to do so you win kylo loses <laughs> right but halcyon wins so you still get your two wins you know it's mm-hmm. just the the greater story obviously of the resistance versus the first order ultimately that's just sort of a backdrop for this because you know when all is said and done the you know, the Battle of Exegol does not take place on the Halcyon. You know, it's not mm-hmm. yeah. right. It's not the end of the war either way. So I think it was all about giving giving everybody a way to play out their fantasy and a way to be successful in their fantasy. And that goes for kind of like the scoundrelly smuggler sort of path as well, where if you want to just be, you know, kind of a mercenary who's just in it for the money or or whatever, you can do that. And you can also have your your victories and you can also feel like like the things that you did in your adventure mattered to the larger story. Like hanging out in the lounge all the time. That's why I was, a, I was a scoundrel. I was like, I have to drink a lot guys. I mean, it's part of it. I have to spend a lot of time in the lounge. Every beer I drink is canon. <laughs> so you're dancing around like a few questions that we, we want to ask here. One, we have a feeling of this and it, I think it's been said, it's been said like uh, early on in kind of the, uh, the introduction to what galaxy's edge is when it, when it first opened. But for folks who are still kind of still being a little bit curmudgeon about this being set in the sequel trilogy era, in your opinion, why does the sequel trilogy era, that time frame, make sense to, to tell new stories and create something like Betu and then the Star Cruiser? And 
more importantly for us, having experienced this, are the events that happen in this canon? <laughs> I mean, to answer your first question, it's it's designed to be canon. Like the the story of the Halcyon fits into the the wider story of the rest of kind of Star Wars storytelling. Obviously, it's a little bit different for everybody that experiences it, but I would say you can always take the story that you experienced and accept that as what really happened. Sweet. So, sure, you know, it's totally it's totally as authentic as it could possibly be. As for why the sequel era, it was, you know, it was decided pretty early on, actually before I was even on the project, which was a very long time ago, uh, that Galaxy's Edge would be that, which I think, you know, the plan was that those were the films that were in development at the time, wanted to make something that would be as timely as possible. And so that's, you know, the direction that they chose to go. And then for Star Cruiser, it was kind of, if we're going to go to Batu, we need to, it all has to play together. So it just kind of made sense. But I think I like, I mean, I'm a fan of the sequel trilogy, so I like that it's in the sequel era. But I also think that the Halcyon story specifically, it's so much more of just kind of a general Star Wars story with a new, for the most part, a, a new character set that, it doesn't really matter for the most part what era it takes place in. This is this is a story that could cross Star Wars generations. And any of these characters or the kind of archetypes of the characters could exist anytime. So even if you're a big original trilogy fan, you can step into this and immediately understand what your role in the story of the Halcyon is gonna be and how to interact with that. So I think it was kind of we were so we were so excited to get get to play with new characters and new storytelling that the sort of additional hero characters that we know were were just kind of icing on the cake. That's been just a burning question in my mind since the first time I went to Galaxy's Edge, just sort of what we're touching on right now. And uh, Matt, you, I'm, I'm pretty positive you're going to be like, nope, no comment. But uh, in, a, in a way that might warrant a comment without saying like, this is, this is what's going to happen or yes, they're going to do that. Do you have knowledge or, or, or are you able to comment on whether or not, you know, the park, uh, the Halcyon, are they, are they designed for evolution? You know, are they, are they designed in a way that someday we're not, you know, we may not be between The Last Jedi and, and, and Rise of Skywalker anymore. And that was thought about before. I, I, I've always assumed it was. Like, I can't imagine that everyone was just like, let's build this park and it's set then and we'll figure it out later, you know? Um, I know there's a plan, you know, but um, I've, I've always wondered that because, whether or not there are new films, whether they do carry on with the Skywalker saga or not. None of us know, well, at least not the three of us don't know whether that's a thing, you know, but I guess my, my question is just like, is the infrastructure there to five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, you know, the foresight to like think we're going to have to change the, the timeline of this at some point? I mean, I can't speak to obviously what any current plans are, but you know, just speaking to, to Disney parks in general, they're always evolving. They're, they're designed to continue to evolve. Yeah. And I mean, Walt Disney said, as long as there's imagination in the world, Disneyland will never be done or never be complete or yep. whatever that full quote is. And I think that applies just as well to Galaxy's Edge and Star Cruiser and everything. Cool. You know, as time goes by, as technology changes, as, as stories change and evolve and we get new things, things will always continue to hopefully get better and evolve and become cool new things that everybody gets re-excited about. Cool. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You mentioned there, um, there being this long history of the ship in the canon timeline where the story unfolds for the, for the passengers. It's 250 years old, roughly, right? 275. 275. Okay. So there's a comic and a novel, a few different novels where events take place on the Halcyon. There's some new canon moments that have taken place involving major characters. I mean, we're in spoiler territory, right? So mm. Anakin and Padme were on it. Han and Leia were on it. There's a little bit of an Easter egg on one part of the ship. There's a a patched little bit on a wall where something went down and Anakin's lightsaber made that right. Mm -hmm. Some kind yep. of battle, right? That's actually in, it's funny. So there's a complimentary issue. Number one of a comic book in the room. 
And really in the first two pages of it, it shows that scene of Anakin messing up that wall. So I remember asking one late night, it must've been like after the lounge closed and I found a, a someone to talk to and I was like, what's going on up there? What are those? And they didn't say Anakin Skywalker or anything. They were like, oh, a past guest, uh, you know, <laughs> got into a little kerfuffle. And and, <laughs> and at that point I hadn't looked at the comic book. I, I grabbed the comic book and I have it here. So only like two or three days ago, I was like, oh, there's the answer. It's in, like literally in the first two pages of the comic book. Yeah, and especially emotional guest had a moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I think it. I think it's issue three goes into that even more. Like in in issue one, it's just kind of a quick flashback. You get mm-hmm. the entire context of that kerfuffle. Yeah. In your word. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love. I mean, I, I've loved this too. In like with the Galaxy's Edge comic books, where because we haven't seen. Batu or or the Halcyon or anything in live action, it's really cool to see in a comic book or an illustration sense somewhere that I've been, but that doesn't exist, you know, like on yeah. in live action yet. So it is really cool to see a scene set in Ogas, but it's in a comic book or totally. same thing with the Star Cruiser, like yeah. those couple of panels that I'm like, oh my God, I stood there. That's so cool. Yeah. What's really <laughs> cool about the comics is because it spans the different eras of the ship's history and it's been around 275 years not only do you get to see places you've been but you get to see what they looked like in the past Mm. so when we get to the issue that shows you know what the halcyon was like during the imperial era you're going to see the ship feeling more imperial yeah that's cool that's god that's so dope i'm so stoked (laughs) kind of want to ride on that version of the ship i do too i wish we could just do like a bunch of these and just have (laughs) oh my god yeah i would never leave (laughs) Are there any Easter eggs on the ship, little story bits that you're particularly proud of or that you think are just extra cool that, I don't know, that you could tell us about that maybe we missed? So someone, I got asked this a lot a couple of weeks ago during the, the media event, and I kept hinting at this thing that's in the engineering room. And somebody finally found it online so I can actually just talk about it. <laughs> in the engineering room on the back of the carbon freezing tube, ironically, <laughs> is carved in their HS plus LO, so Han Solo and Leia Organa. Mm, um, that's awesome. So obviously they they did their adventurous honeymoon there, and and Han must have carved something back there, which I just think is such a cool little little random detail. Yeah, yep. and I mean you guys know like you've been in the engineer, engineering room; it feels like the inside of a ship. It's it's not clean. Yeah, yeah, it's totally you know, and so like that's the one the one place where you could carve something and and the CSL people would not clean it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just this one little thing makes me want to go back already. Like, where's my credit card? I have to go, I have to go see this. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much stuff. I know we're, we've got great photos. We've got some video and we're seeing everyone else's, but there's still part of me that wants to go back and take my own photos and take my own videos. But we were so adamant about not wasting our experience behind our own phones mm-hmm. that we don't have much of that. None of the none of the three of us really got much. So yeah, I just want to go back and just fully do a full photo shoot, video shoot the whole time. You know, <laughs> do the other stuff, but like really focus on like, yo, get me up here on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> the trick you you won't get much sleep, but the trick is to do that stuff late night. Yeah, because like if the halcyon's open, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but everybody's sleeping, so you can go. You get really nice. You know, that's when you can throw on every costume and just go around and find all the best most iconic spots, get your photos. Don't have to worry about other, other people mm-hmm. around or yeah. as many, at least other people around. So it's like, if you, if you want to rest, which is probably recommended given how, how busy <laughs> your, your days are, you know, that's understandable. But if, if you've got an extra hour or whatever of time at 11, 12 later than that, you can get some really cool shots and not miss out on any story. I have, I just looked at our time stamped pictures of the last night there, the second night and Adam, I have a picture of you taking pictures, you know, your high ground pictures yeah. at two two oh five AM. So we were we were doing that. We were doing there was that. nobody Good. on the ship besides us. <laughs> like everyone was sleeping and at around quarter to one Including to me. about two oh five. Yeah. We were just <laughs> on the ship doing whatever, taking our pictures. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I was done. <laughs> if I hadn't needed sleep, I would not have slept. I, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to work with the minimum. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I didn't, I don't even have very many pictures of myself on there, and I, I totally regret it because it wasn't until after that I realized, oh, I could have just went late night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to go I, to sleep, uh, Matt. M- 
Matt, I, I, I bet you you could probably talk to someone and go, <laughs> go, go back again. <laughs> you know you some probably. folks. It's hard now. Now that it's open, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, they're pretty back-to-back, just nonstop, I right? could probably do a better job of getting backstage than I could of getting actually into the, <laughs> you know, onto the ship itself. So this brings me to the one thing that we kept talking about even when we were right in the middle of the whole thing. Were you privy to any conversations or were you aware of any conversations about the length of the voyage and you know, potentially being maybe an additional day. And did you feel limited in any way trying to tell the story that the group landed on in that, you know, 45 hours or whatever it is? Uh, not really. Cause I'm not used to working with the luxury of 45 hours to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like m- most storytelling does not last that long. Uh, video games are, yeah. are pretty long, but, um, a lot of that is, is just kind of interactive, but, uh, no, it felt like a good amount. And also because this, it only has like a hundred cabins, right? you know, and I want people to be able to experience it. So the longer the day, the less people get to go through. So I think that the kind of two nights stay feels about right. And it's probably good, you know, if assuming people are working it into their larger Disney vacation, you know, there's, I'm sure there are people like you guys, like Nick, who flies in the the morning or the night of the mm-hmm. night before or whatever, uh, and then pieces out the, as soon as it's over. But I think a lot of people are probably building it into their larger Disney vacation and they probably want, you know, more time to be able to go and visit the other parks. So this is a high end experience on every level, right? I've never really done a five star hotel experience myself, but from what I know of them, this seems like a, like a damn five star experience from the food to the service. You know, the fact that you can go to concierge and just just ask for things that at other levels of um, <laughs> other levels of um, resort and hotel stuff is unreasonable. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's great. It's high level stuff. Like, like Ryan said, you hand off your bags at valet, they show up in your room. So on the good, better, best Disney business plan kind of thing, this is best, right? Obviously if there are plans, you can't say anything, but I, I would imagine that it's very possible to do a hotel Kind of like the, um, you've got like the all-star sports hotel thing. You've got the the music one, you know, like the sort of entry-level ones that we stayed at before and after. I can imagine with some imagineering, with some berm building and things, you could contain a larger just entry-level hotel that has people in character, in world, but not doing immersive things where people could stay and feel like they're on the outskirts of Black Spire, but still on the planet, right? So that good level. Speak on that in whatever way you can. Your feelings about it, whatever. I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is, could you make a mostly normal Star Wars hotel? Yeah. Which I think you probably could, and it would be cool. They're, they're doing it with Marvel right now, and I'm sure that'll be pretty dope. I wouldn't expect it to be, if they did something like that, kind of what you're proposing, I wouldn't expect it to be one of the, the lower level hotels i can't remember what their tiers are yeah it, it, it wouldn't be like pop century or, or art of animation those, those yeah. types of ones it would it would be more like the port orleans or or yeah, yeah or yeah. animal king whichever you know, fort wilderness those type totally i could see them doing something like that i have obviously no say in anything like that and i'm not privy to anything on that but like you know maybe and we'll see what happens with the marvel one because you know i definitely want to stay at the marvel hotel when it opens but that's People call this the Star Wars Hotel, and that's just a complete misnomer. You call yeah. the Marvel Hotel the Marvel Hotel, and it really is. Yeah. So, sure, you could totally make an actual Star Wars Hotel. God, dude. Well, like I, when I get mad when people are in Disneyland or Disney World, then let's let's go to Star Wars Land real quick. I'm like, listen here. <laughs> it's not called Star Wars Land, all right? Let me tell you about Star Wars Land. <laughs> yeah. It's also, there's just something so magical about being able to be in Star Wars. And this is why it makes so much sense to me that it was a new planet that they created just for Galaxy's Edge. It's a new storyline. It's in a modern, a current, so to speak, part of the timeline. Because, yeah, going to like the Harry Potter thing is cool because you can go live the movie in a way. But you're just living the movie. You're just kind of like faking it in a way. Yeah, you're, you're following kind of Harry's journey. Yeah, but you can truly go live your own story on that too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was exactly what we were, we were hoping for. We're, you know, Potter, like you said, Potter's great, but you really are just following Harry's journey where we wanted to make it, you know, Star Wars is such a big galaxy and there's so many stories and it's, you know, why can't the guests have their own story? And that was, you know, what it was designed to be from the ground up was the place where you can go and have your own Star Wars adventure and whatever that is, you know. And that makes it something that isn't just about 
going down the checklist of the attractions, the rides or whatever that are available, it's a place that you can go and just be. And that's what I wanted from the very beginning. Like I, I keep telling this story over and over, but my friend who I stayed with the first time I, I went to Galaxy's Edge in Anaheim, we were talking about buying park passes and he kept trying to get me to buy a park hopper pass. Cause he's like, yeah, yeah. Galaxy's edge isn't that big. You know, there's not a lot to do. And I'm like, no dude, you just, I don't think you understand. Like I just want to go live in it. I'll stay there all day, all week and just look at stuff. Totally. And you can fully do that because it, it's a world. It's not just a, a series of attractions, you know, that was definitely what it was, was designed to be. And if I lived any closer, I would be there all the time. I mean, Nick is there all the time. Like, I, yeah. If I lived closer, I would do the same thing. Because mm-hmm. just just being there and like, especially as someone who works on Star Wars, and I've been in not in this specific job, but I've been working at Lucasfilm for almost fifteen years now. And obviously, he was a massive Star Wars fan before getting the job. But working on it, you you sort of can start to lose sight of how important it is to other people, or how like just special it is, or even how how important it is to to me. And going to a place like Galaxy's Edge or especially Star Cruiser and just being able to observe other people's interactions with Star Wars totally reinvigorates me creatively and be like, oh, yeah, this is why we're doing all of this, because, you know, only Star Wars can give people that feeling that like, you know, that that kid is having right there. You're about to make me cry over here. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, man. Dude, it's especially with Star Cruiser, like watching people really go all out and just accept that they are in star Wars. Now they're just living it. And it's just so, so great. And I, after my first full journey, which was pretty early on, you know, one of the first kind of all the way through play tests, I'd done a lot of other things, but the first all the way through play tests that I did, you know, I was, went into it. I'm like, boy, I sure hope this, I sure hope this works. <laughs> yeah. like in theory, this is cool, but will it work? And by the end of it, I was like, not only does this work, this make me feel about Star Wars the way I felt about Star Wars when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And it was Hell like, yeah. you know, I can't imagine anything else that could make me feel that way. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we all, again, we were open to feeling that way. So we did. But like, what was so cool is that there were people probably 15, 20 years older than me enjoying it the same way I did. And I like kind of what you were saying about being in Galaxy's Edge and just watching people enjoy Star Wars. Before the pandemic, I would go once a week and just like sit in front of the Millennium Falcon somewhere and do exactly that and just be like, this makes me so happy to watch people enjoy this and watch people enjoy what I enjoy. So going on the Star Cruiser and seeing people, the older generation, like the people who were basically older teens or early 20s when the original trilogy came out, watching them live this experience was so cool and then the complete opposite of watching like seven eight nine ten year olds also interacting on the halcyon was just like this is what makes star wars so special is because it's meant so much to so many people and it's so amazing to see like a seven-year-old just as into it as like a 60-year-old on the halcyon and it was just so so cool and i'm i'm glad we we all got to experience that together good job (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'll take it but it was it was a not just me it was a whole lot of people that made that thing happen good job you and all those people (laughs) so again i'm sure there's not much that you can say if you know anything but what potential do you see in terms of the doors that were opened by creating this thing for the future of Disney parks across Marvel and Disney proper and Star Wars and so on? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I know nothing about anything that isn't Star Wars. Right. But speaking, you know, just as a fan, that was one of the first things I thought of, you know, the first time I went through this it was like, not only does this work, but wow, does this open up some doors? Like, this is the experience that I want in all of my fandoms. Like I would love mm-hmm. a Marvel one. That'd be amazing. I'd love a haunted mansion one. Like that would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even, even non-Disney parks. Like I, I hope that galactic star cruiser steps up kind of the immersive entertainment game in general. And a lot of other people are willing to take, maybe not to the extent of star cruiser, cause that's probably the sort of thing that only Disney could pull off, but you know, that are willing to take risks and make something that's really a real immersive experience the way that this is. Oh yeah. It's exciting, man. 
How far into the future is Westworld set? <laughs> that's how that's how far I don't think out it was I think, that far off, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's like in the 2050s, 2060s, I want to say. Yeah. So, yeah, give it another 30 years. There'll be an island somewhere off the, the coast of China somewhere. I don't know. That's just a yeah, full Before on. we know it, we can go do, we can go just murder with reckless abandon and, you know, <laughs> live our most murderous lives. I mean, if it involves lightsabers and blasters, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel like some weird sociopath who's going there to like indulge my serial killer tendencies. I would just be in my own Star War. Yeah. Yeah, especially droids. Clankers, I'll shoot them up. It's all good. <laughs> An island somewhere off the, the coast of China somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, before we know it, we can go do we can go just murder with reckless abandon and, you know, live our most murderous lives. I mean, if it involves lightsabers and blasters, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel like some weird sociopath who's going yeah. there to like <laughs> indulge my serial killer tendencies. I would just be in my own Star War. Yeah, yeah, especially droids, clankers. I'll shoot them up. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matt. Um, thank you so much for being here. This has been super fun. For sure. Are you game for a little lightning round? Yeah, sure. Sweet. Let's do it. A major weapons test is imminent. Test play 94. You may fire when ready. Lit. <laughs> test by test bay 94. The uh, the lightning round. Would you favorite things either or and would you rather would you rather following the typical like you know high school stupid rules uh they sure. both suck you have to do one of them but both of them are kind of cool typically in, in the options we give you so how about favorite planet in star wars uh coruscant nice a city boy yeah i mean that's that's exactly <laughs> it the entire planet is a city turns out matt hates trees no poles no poles in star wars there's no poles <laughs> yeah okay either or light side or dark side light side well done good choice no question yeah. smart guy would you rather have a blaster blaster of your choice your favorite dl44 or whatever that never misses but you can't move while you shoot you have to just stand there okay or have a lightsaber that deflects every blaster shot with perfect accuracy, but you can't use the force while wielding it. Uh, I mean, I guess a lightsaber. Blasters are cool, but lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you still, if I'm picking up on this, you still get to use the force, just not while you're using your lightsaber. Yeah. I cut yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a force multitasker is what it comes down to. <laughs> sure. You're a Jedi, but you have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a light side user from Coruscant with a short attention span. Nailed it. Accurate. <laughs> Sick. All right. That was lighter than, than the usual. That was good. That was a little easier. Why do you usually do hard ones? Now I'm curious. <laughs> Not hard. Like uh, the very first one we did, it was if you could like go back in time essentially, or if you could have had this experience, either you got to meet Carrie Fisher but she told you to fuck off and it was a bad experience, but you still got to meet her or you get to meet Harrison Ford and everything's cool, but you have to ride with him in his plane and you also can't ask him anything about Star Wars. His, his plane that he's always crashing. That is pretty good. I have to say though, having Carrie tell you to fuck off is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's very on brand. Yeah. And I, I have met Carrie. Sweet. That's amazing. So I could answer that in a different way. Where did you meet her? Before I was on story, I was, I was like the content manager, producer, person for StarWars.com. And so I met her a couple times at celebrations while we were doing like interviews and stuff. And at one point backstage, because her dog Gary was just amazing and I love dogs. So I was like, Carrie, it's funny because Carrie's one of my favorite people and Leia is definitely my favorite character in Star Wars. But I was so into her dog that... Uh, <laughs> I was just petting the dog while we were supposed to be doing a thing. And then she had to, she had to run somewhere and she's like, can you just, can you stay with Gary? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's so, so dope. my claim to fame is I got to babysit Gary Fisher. <laughs> that's so perfect. And I'm so incredibly jealous because I'm a, I'm a crazy dog person as well. My wife and I are those people. Super. Do you guys follow Gary on, on Instagram? I do. Yeah. Good. I do not. You should. It's worth it. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for being here. For sure. Thank you guys for having me. If folks want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter as uh, at missing words. And that's probably the main place that I'm at. 
I'm on Instagram as well, Matthew C. Martin, but I, I don't post that often because I always forget to take pictures of things. Um, <laughs> so those are probably the main ones. Definitely, if you want to yell at me, Twitter is the place that people usually do that. <laughs> as is tradition. <laughs> if listeners want to follow the podcast on social media, we are at ThankTheMakerPod on TikTok and Instagram. Not very active on TikTok yet. We're trying to figure out what the youths are doing, but we're working on it. <laughs> we are at ThankTheMaker on Twitter. All of my stuff is at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. All my socials are at Nick Bayside, and I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble right now and get TikTok for Dummies, the book, so we can figure <laughs> out what, how to use Paperback. TikTok. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that your idea of learning what the kids are doing is by getting a book. That's how they figure it out, right? That's how they all know it, because they read that book. I'm going to go to Borders Books. Those still exist, right? Borders <laughs> Books. I'm going to get a TikTok for Dummies book. <laughs> nice. If you want more Star Wars content from the Thank the Maker Network, we have Armor Party, a podcast about Star Wars costuming, hosted by Mike Forrester, our good friend and Star Cruiser co-voyager. We have Princess and Scoundrel, hosted by Sarah and Stephen Maciel. Sarah's also our, she's Mike's co-tour manager of us, the, the band idiots. <laughs> these, these two are responsible for the trip happening at all. Thank you again so much. We're idiots. <laughs> and if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you go to do that. The folks listening with us live right now are at the Jedi Council tier. The Citizen tier at three bucks a month gets you access to the Discord. There's some tiers. There's some things. Check it out. Help us out. We appreciate it. Matt, thanks again. Everyone, thanks for listening. And until next week, may the Force be with you. 